Good morning, Mount Helena Community Church. Merry Christmas. All right. If you are a guest with us this morning, uh, I want to welcome you. My name is J.R. Quigley. I'm the senior leader here at Mount Helena. And I just want to encourage you, if you're new to Helena or you're looking for a church family to participate in, in worship and speak, uh, learning together and growing together, small groups, things like that, we've got a lot uh, for you to get involved with and connected with. So we, we would appreciate the opportunity to meet you, get to know you. We have a connect card out at our giving station out there. You could fill that out or you can find our email addresses on the website. There's a lot of great information on there as well. Uh, but we really believe in connecting people in community. And then out of that community, there's a mission to be lived. God has called you to a mission. Did you know that? And all of us are gifted and all of us have a part to play in his kingdom. And so we're looking at continuing to grow our community and connect people with family and live out that mission. So we are glad that you chose to join us today. How many of you are done Christmas shopping? Oh, there's a lot of you still got to get out there this afternoon, huh? Well, I'll probably see you in the store this afternoon, okay? Because I might be out there with you. Uh, appreciate it. I do want to let you know really quickly that next Sunday is New Year's Eve, and so what we're going to be doing, rather than a normal church service, we're going to be gathering together uh, to just hang out, to have breakfast together, and have some fun, so really encourage you to join us next New Year's Eve, 10 a.m., we're going to be doing breakfast. I mean, come on, who's going to turn down free breakfast? So it's New Year's Eve, I know, but come to church, let's, uh, let's hang out, let's have some fun. Looking forward to it. Uh, Hannah mentioned during worship day, by the way, would you give the worship team a hand? They did a great job this morning, didn't they? That's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I like Christmas because you can get away dressing differently. I see a lot of suits out there. I see Santa Claus hats, all kinds of things. If you did that any other day of the year, we'd think you were crazy, but it's very appropriate today. A lot of fun. Uh, I do appreciate the worship team and all their hard work. Hannah mentioned during worship today that we've been going through a series on Christmas carols. And it's important to think about you know, when we sing songs, we sang a lot of songs this morning, and when we sing, we have a tendency to say things we wouldn't normally say. It's, sometimes it can be a lot harder to say something out loud versus singing. I think that's one of the reasons that we like music so much, is we're able to articulate things we might not other, otherwise say. But what does it mean, the words that we sing? Some of the Christmas carols are, they're, they're ancient, they're very old songs, they come from uh, way back, even the one we're looking at today, O Come Emmanuel, some of the people believe that its roots go clear back to like the 800s, a very ancient song originally written in Latin. So we've been looking at some of these Christmas carols and going, what, what's, the, what's the thinking here? What's the theology? What's the message behind these songs? And so today we're going to talk about the Christmas carol, O Come Emmanuel. It's, it's kind of a little bit of a darker song. It has kind of a desperation in its tone. It was actually, as an old song, it was part of the Catholic Advent leading up to Christmas. Uh, even before the Reformation, that song was a part of the liturgy, probably in Latin at that time. And it's in a, a song of anticipation, O come, Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel. What, does, what do those words mean? I want to focus in on some of that today. We're going to begin with looking at Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, first and foremost. Now, most scholars would say that Matthew's gospel was written more for a Jewish audience. A lot of his themes in his gospel are written towards someone that would have understood Jewish tradition, or would have understood Emmanuel coming, 
And that's no different in his account of Jesus being born. Uh, he emphasized the deity of Christ. He, was, he uh, focused a lot on criticizing the religious leaders of his day, that they had rejected Christ, that it led to the kingdom being taken away from Israel and extended to the Gentiles. A lot of those themes we get out of the book of Matthew. And Matthew's, Matthew and Luke have two different accounts of the birth of Jesus, so between the two of them we get quite a bit of a, of a story. So most of the Christmas story that you know uh, would come from Luke and then quite a bit from Matthew as well. And I just want to read a few of the verses of Matthew's account. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. We have to understand something here. Uh, about Jewish tradition. You would be engaged or betrothed prior to being married, probably at least a year-long betrothal before the marriage took place. And it was a vow that you made. It was a pre-marriage vow. You know, when we get married in our culture, uh, we come together and we, we give vows to one another and commit to one another in covenant. But there was a step before that, a, a betrothal. And so Mary and Joseph would have taken vows that they were going to be married at some point. So they actually, if you were betrothed and not even married yet, they were not allowed to have sexual relations during this time. That was considered inappropriate. And, and uh, so the fact that Mary is pregnant is a problem. And Joseph is thinking, well, she's been with another man. And we need a divorce. And he doesn't want to put her to public shame. What does that mean? If Joseph would have made a fuss about this publicly, Mary would be stoned. She would have been executed because of her sexual promiscuity prior to marriage. And so he doesn't want to make a big issue out of that, and so he just wants to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. But he knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Boy, kind of a scandalous little story, according to the Jews. But Matthew points out several things. He calls Joseph the son of David. This would have been very important to the Jews. So this song, Emmanuel, it's an anticipation that God is going to rescue Israel. He's going to rescue his people. They're in a position of need. At this point in time, they were not strangers to being exiled or in need. They'd been captive of the Egyptians. They'd been occupied by the Assyrians. They were taken over by the Babylonians. Now they were being occupied by Rome. God had repeatedly punished them for not honoring his law. And so they knew what it was like to be separated from God and to be in exile. And so they're looking forward to the fulfillment of this prophecy that God 
will be with us. I want to read you the first verse that we sang. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. They are anticipating a promise to be fulfilled. They are a people in need. I want to look at the actual passage in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah is the prophet who prophesied that Jesus would be born by a virgin. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. He will be God with us. God had been with Israel in terms of his presence was a big uh, a pillar of fire, a cloud. He'd appeared in many ways. He appeared to Abraham. But now God was going to come fully in the flesh and be with his people. And I want to focus on these key words of that song. Ransom, captive Israel. What do those words mean? How do we get... I mean, sometimes when we think of Christmas, we just think of the nice little story. It's ancient history and... But the implications of God becoming flesh and living amongst us carry through 2,000 years later and are still taking over this earth. There's still this gospel and good news that God is with us going all over the world. Think of how this began. After Jesus died and was resurrected, there was just, just a few of them that believed. Less than what's in this room right now. And out of that small group of people Look at how many people around the world today have heard the gospel and obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a very powerful thing that God would choose to be with us. It's a really unusual paradigm, way of thinking. For for most of the nations, their gods were conquering heroes. There's no way they would associate with some lowly humans. That would be way beneath them. I think we sometimes take for granted the compassion and the mercy and grace that God has had to become one of us, to suffer like us, to identify with our weaknesses, to experience what we experience. How much love is in a God like that? But it's totally contradictory to every other God of the nations around them, that their God would be one of them, come to be with them, and as a ransom of all things. God's not going to become a man and die. That would not make any sense. That would be the common thinking. And yet he comes as a ransom. Why? We need rescued. So while this prophecy and all of this in this Jewish context applied to the Jews, it also applies to you and I. We end up captive. We end up in exile, separated from God. And God comes To pay a price. What's a ransom? It's a price to redeem something that's lost. To redeem something that's been captured and caught. That's been taken captive or put in prison. And so they're they're singing that God with us will become a ransom for us. He will pay a price for us. He will rescue and redeem us. It's an unusual thought for them. You know, it's interesting when you consider the story. Okay, we're singing, God ransomed captive Israel, but 
that, that is, doesn't seem to be what happens. Israel is virtually continues to be occupied by Rome. They've had, they have a rebellion against Rome. And Rome comes in and destroys the temple. The Jews have not had a temple since. They wiped it out. It ceased to exist as a nation until this century, this last century. So did, it, did he fail? Did God fail at ransoming captive Israel? I want to look at what Paul teaches us about this situation. He asks the same question in Romans chapter 9. But it's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Paul's making an argument for children by faith. When, when This is part of God's plan. When Israel rejected Christ, all those outside of Israel then get to hear the good news. You and I, did you know you're a Gentile? <laughs> we don't refer to ourselves that way. But that's what we were to the Jews. We weren't Jewish in terms of race or nationality, most of us. And God was their God. But then he takes his message to all the nations, every tribe, every tongue, every people. He's making his children. They're becoming heirs to this promise, this promise by faith. And indeed, he says in Hosea, this is Romans chapter 9, later on, 25 and 26. Those who were not my people, I will call my people. He's making a major transition here. Hosea prophesied it, that it would come to this. So when, so when we go back to the song and the idea of being ransomed, he's not just ransoming the literal captive, exiled Israel nation. He's reconciling, rescuing all of those who would believe, which is you and I. See, when you believe in Christ, we sang about it, a second birth. Something in us begins to transform. We begin to change by the spirit and the power of God. He gives that to his children, to those who believe. We are inheritors of that promise. You are, right where you sit here in your chair today. That's good news. That's why we worship. It's why we celebrate in songs. It's why we talk to other people about it. It's why we hold services like this. Because this is such good news that we would be called his people. And her who is not, I will call beloved. He loves his people. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. So, there's a foreshadowing here in the song. Israel is looking forward to God with us. And God takes it way further than they were expecting. He's not just rescuing them from a temporary occupation of Rome. He's actually going to rescue the whole world. Everyone who would believe in his name. Everyone who would, like we talked last week, submit to his lordship. And recognize him as Lord. I want to focus in on a, the fact that God is with us. Did you know that? Sometimes we... You know, it just seems like such a out in the ether somewhere. Okay, God's with us. He's present in some kind of way. I don't get it. That's supernatural, and I don't understand those things. But I want to convince you today that God is really with you, actually with you. 
His, his spirit is here in this room. The Bible says that when you believe in Christ, when you make him Lord, he comes and lives with you. You become a temple. Now, what is a temple in ancient thinking? It's the house of a God, right? You are the house of God. His spirit comes and lives within you. God is with you, which can be a scary thought too, right? Oh, you saw that. Yes, I did. And you heard me say that. I did hear that, yeah. Kind of scary, isn't it? But it's wonderful and encouraging. God is with us. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and very present. He is present. I could make a Christmas joke, but I won't. He's right here. Thank you. You're awake. You're with me. All right. He is very present, right here, accessible. And it says, to help. He's here to help. God is with us. Wherever we go, work or play, he's there to help. Many of you have probably heard of Psalm 23. Maybe you've heard it, read at a funeral. or It seems to be a common passage, actually, that's read at funerals. But in my mind, it's a psalm written very much about a living person. <laughs> By a living person. I want you to listen to these words in Psalm 23, 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He herds you along. Now, if he's off in outer space running the universe and doesn't have time for you, how could he be your shepherd? He's very present. He's right there. So in every circumstance and decision that you have to face, recognize that your shepherd is right there, ready to help guide you. But you've got to notice him and pay attention. I shall not want. I won't need anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What beautiful imagery of how God is with us. Here, Jar, come, come to this great place. Rest here. Come check out this situation. And he leads us. And then these beautiful words, he restores my soul. How many of you could use some soul restoration? All of us. We're hurting. We're broken people. We've done a lot of damage to ourselves. We've done a lot of damage to others. Others have done damage to us. And we hurt at a soul level. But he is the shepherd of our souls. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. All of these words are God interacting with a living person. This psalm is about the living, not the dead. He leads me and guides me. He's my very present God with us. He's Emmanuel. He's with me. So Emmanuel really reflects the idea of God coming in completely human form. But we know that God is with us even now by his spirit. Jesus said, it's to your benefit that I go away. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. God with you, in you, shepherding you. The psalmist in Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12. I, I just, can I just tell you, if you don't do any sort of biblical tradition or anything like that with, with your Christmas this evening or tomorrow, or maybe you're kind of bored of the Christmas story and you want to read something else that encourages you, I would encourage you to read Psalm 139. This is such a powerful psalm. It's got to be one of the best psalms, if I could say it that way. Where shall I go from your spirit? He's trying to run away from God. Ever try to run away from God? 
There's a story about a guy who gets swallowed by a fish, but anyway, we'll talk about that another time. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. He's actually there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, he's there too. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall take hold of me. God is with you. He is with you. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even, in the dark, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. You can't hide from God. You can't escape his presence. He's with you. And this is a wonderful thing. If God is with us, God was with us. God was with you. This is really important because when we consider our past, when we consider that wounded soul that we have, when we considered all the experiences that we've done, it can be hard to imagine that God was there. How could God be there when that terrible thing happened to me? See, God, when, when you ask God to forgive you, let's just start with you, okay? you and I as individuals, and we look on our past and we recognize that we've made some terrible mistakes or we've really done something that's offensive to God, very, been very sinful. We, when we ask God to forgive us, he goes back in time and wipes that off your record. Do you realize that's how powerful forgiveness really is? The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes it, your sin from you. How many of you have a whiteboard? I'm a whiteboard nerd. I have one in my office. That's all they'll let me have. I heard they make whiteboard paint. I'm afraid of what my office would look like if I got a hold of some whiteboard paint. I love whiteboards. But you know what's so nice about them? You just take that eraser and it just, it's gone. Completely gone. Clean. And when you got something on your record, the whiteboard of your life, I did this. God Go, you, you, but God forgive me, and he goes, you can imagine him back there with you in that moment, wiping that off your record, wiping that whiteboard clean, removing that sin from your life, completely gone, completely forgiven. See, God is just. He will bring all things to justice. When I talk about God being with us in our past, I want to be really sensitive to those of you that have experienced a trauma that, of not your own making. Maybe you were abused in some way or something happened to you that had nothing to do with you and that makes you kind of angry. God, why, how could you have been there and that happened to me? And that's a very difficult conversation to have, trying to understand how these things happen. But I do want to say something. God was there. God saw it. He saw it. And I want to tell you something. He's just. Do you ever have the feeling that somebody did something to you and got away with it? They're never held to account. They're never punished. I'm not encouraging a vengeful attitude. Because the Bible says, it's not your job to avenge. It's my job. So it's God's job. I will avenge, says the Lord. I want to tell you something. Nobody gets away with anything. Everyone will stand before God and give an account. So even in this life, you might take something to your grave, but you will answer to God for it, which is kind of scary. 
But you know what's beautiful? He also forgives. And that's why we have to be careful not to hold a grudge. Because in the same way that maybe you'd like vengeance to happen on somebody, perhaps somebody wants vengeance to happen to you. Because you might be the perpetrator in some of those situations. You've hurt people. And so we're all guilty. We're in lonely exile here. We need ransomed. We need God with us. And that's what he's done. And that's why we celebrate. He can go back in time and he can bring healing to those experiences. He can bring restoration to you. He's with you. God is with you. God was with you. I know that's hard. That's, that might require some thinking in the days ahead in prayer. Here's the other thing. God will be with you. Your future is secure in Christ. Can I, we just talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus is Lord. Let him be. You're not very good at it. No, I'm sorry to be offensive, but you're just not very good at it. Let him be the Lord. Let him guide your steps. Let him be the shepherd. Take his counsel. There is no, you will never be, I guarantee this, you will never be as satisfied living on your own as you will be with Christ. If you are running from Christ, lay it down. When I was a kid, I just thought that meant I'm just going to have to, you know, dress nice and go to church and just be boring the rest of my life. I was so wrong. God is your security in your future. He will be with you. He's your salvation. Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. For the lamb, who's the lamb? Jesus. He's the lamb that was slain for us. And the book of Revelation is using this as a metaphor for Jesus. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. This is looking forward to a day ahead. He will lead them to springs of living water. Kind of sounds like Psalm 23. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I don't cry a lot, but I sure don't like it. I look forward to when the tears in my soul be wiped away by Jesus when I leave this decaying body behind and obtain the new one that he has. God has a future and a hope for you. Even in this life, not just the life after. There's a mission to be lived for every one of us. And God has that plan. There is no better plan. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, This is it. We're looking forward into the future here. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Emmanuel, God with us. This is who God is. He will dwell with man. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Your future is secure in Christ. God is with you and he will be with you. This is the future and the hope for those of us that believe. I would encourage you. If, you're, if you've been on the fence or you've been running for God or you're not, not sure about these things, let him in. Let him be your shepherd, because he is with you right there. So God is 
God is with us. What, do, what, do the, what does it say in Revelation about what they say around the throne? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. When God introduces himself to Moses, how does he describe himself? I am. I am. I just, I just am. I, I could tell you who I am, but you wouldn't even understand because I'm outside of the, anything that you can't even give me a name that would work. No, I, I just outside, I'm outside of time, I, I'm outside of space, matter, physical, invisible. I just am. Self existent God. And he's going to make all, but yet he becomes one of us and he's with us. How powerful. How reassuring. How healing. So here's my question for you this morning Are you with God? If he's with you, are you with him? Is he, is he the invisible entity that is just being ignored? God's with us, but do we take the time to be with him? I want to read out of uh, Revelation chapter 3. Those I love, I rebuke and discipline. God loves us, and so sometimes he gives us a whipping. How many of you decided not to discipline your kids? <laughs> no, we do <laughs> We're not all good at it, are we? But he's good at it. He's our loving father. So sometimes it can be a little painful as he rebukes and disciplines us. But then he says, therefore, be earnest and repent. Change your mind. Go another way. Be earnest about it. Serious. Take it seriously. I I want to discipline you. I want to show you the way of life. I want to be your shepherd. Be earnest and repent. Change your mind. Go a new way. Be earnest and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Famous words. Many people have heard this passage before or seen famous pictures with Jesus knocking on the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. God wants to be with you. He wants to be Emmanuel to you. He wants to dine with you. The all-powerful King of kings and Lord of lords, Master of the universe wants to sit at your table and have a conversation with you and have lunch with you. If you'll allow me to personify it that much. God is with you and he wants to be with you. Maybe that's one of the hardest things for us to get our head around. Okay, I believe that God's with me, but I'm not sure he wants to be. I've got to be really annoying to him and frustrating. God loves you. He loves you, and he wants to be with you. Let him in. To the one who overcomes, I will grant the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down on my fa- with my father on his throne. Oh, those are powerful words. To those who will invite Jesus into his life, you're going you're gonna to let me sit on your throne with you? Yeah, we will rule and reign with Christ in the age to come. Powerful reality. John chapter 6, verse 37. I hope, I hope this encourages someone in here today. All that, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Talking about people. This is Jesus speaking. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Your future is secure in Christ. He's not going to reject you. He's not going to throw you out. Be with him. Let him be with you. We're going to take communion together this morning. 
to remember what Christ has done for us. It's such an important moment to consider that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, John says. That's how John talks about the beginning. He doesn't talk about Mary and Joseph and none of that. He said, in the beginning was the word, and the, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we celebrate that through communion. What we're going to do today, Nick's going to play some music for us, and we've got four tables here. Uh, for those of you that are guests or, or don't know what we do, we line up at these four tables, just the ones that are closest to you. You can help yourself to bread and either juice or wine, whichever you prefer. You take that back to your seat, and then once everybody has been served, we will take communion together. So would you all stand, please? And just start making your way right up here to the tables, serving yourself while we just take a few moments to do that, and then we'll come back together for communion in just a moment. last few are uh, taking the elements I I just want to remind you Paul encouraged us that when we take communion to do so in a worthy manner and you know when when we eat this bread and we drink this cup it reminds us in a very somber way of the crucifixion of a gruesome and painful death on a cross It reminds us of a body that was broken and blood that was shed on your behalf and my behalf. And so we take that seriously. And so I I don't think the bread's magic and I don't think the wine is. I, I don't think that. What this is is a practice of the early church. And they were remembering the night before Jesus died and when he had his last meal with his friends before he was crucified. He made some profound statements and he began to point out that a new covenant would be established. A new agreement was no longer going to be under the Old Testament law, but the blood of the Lamb would be shed and a new agreement between God and man would be established. And when we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we are reminding ourselves of the powerful event in which this new covenant came into being and was ratified. That's what the shedding of the blood is. It's the ratification of a covenant between God and man. And I want to read the account in the book of Matthew about the Last Supper. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples. I don't think any of this would have been unusual until this moment. Then he says this, take, eat, this is my body. Whoa, what? Profound statement. See, we have to, well, one time during his ministry, said, unless, Jesus said, unless you, uh, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Of course, that freaked a lot of people out because they didn't understand what he meant. He meant that you're putting your life in that place, that place on the cross. He took the cross for you. See, God is just, and there is, justice is due to mankind. And unfortunately, some of mankind will pay a heavy price. But Jesus paid a price for those who would believe. He ransomed us from exile. 
He ransomed us from a separation from God. When man chose to rebel against God in the garden, there was separation. But now by the blood of Christ, we come out of exile into relationship with God once again. And in the future, a more fulfilled version of that. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So this this cup and this bread today serve you and I as a reminder of that body that was broken and the blood that was shed. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll take the elements together. Dear God, thank you so much that you fulfilled your prophecy to become God with us. Lord, that you made a way When we could not, there was no way we could come out of exile. There's no way we could ransom ourselves. But you choose us to be with us. And you bore the wrath of justice on the cross on our behalf. So we soberly, but with great joy, take this bread and this cup today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may take the bread. And the cup. The worship team is going to lead us in one last song as we exit today. And I'm going to exit off the stage and and we'll be finished when they're done with the song. But remember that when we sing a song and we worship, we're saying things that we might otherwise lack words for. Worship is supposed to be celebratory in the power and the presence of God. I want to encourage you this morning, as you've reflected and you've taken communion and we've looked at the word of God, give yourself to God in worship as we do one last song. I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas and I hope to see you all here next week.